I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick. And I'm Ian Fitzpatrick, and this is World Footprints. Previously on Escape from India... So the night that I, I got my flight, I got to the airport, and it's closed, but the embassy table was there, and a line of hundreds of people to catch this EBAC flight. I'm going up in line with my bag to check in, and I look over like this, and I see the American flag hanging there. And I just remember thinking, it's over. It's over. They can't get me. They can't, they can't anything. It's over. Just being so blatantly targeted with such horrific actions against us. Blatant. For nothing more than we were foreigners. In episodes one and two, we got to know veteran journalist Anitra Hamper as she made her escape from India after plans to write about a rare catfish known as the Goonch got flipped upside down by the COVID-19 outbreak, which left her and her fishing guide, Ian Henderson, of The Greatest Fish, trapped in India. To recall, Anitra and Ian set out on a four-week press trip to Nepal and India, or at least that's what they thought. Instead, Anitra and Ian had to rely on each other, others around them, and their own instincts in order to get out of India alive as the pandemic overtook the country and paranoia against foreigners ran high. Anitra and Ian eventually escaped and made it back to their home country safe and sound, but not without experiencing the single most terrifying event in their entire lives. Here's Anitra with more of the roller coaster ordeal that took her and Ian from hope to hopelessness and back, and everything in between, as we bring you the conclusion of Escape from India. It was like one thing happened, and then another, like the saga just continued. It was another dramatic turning point. By the time I got home, we got home on April 11th in the evening. April 12th was Easter Sunday. And my embassy contact texted me and she said, I want to make sure you're okay. She said, I want to tell you there's no more flights that will be scheduled. That was it. And I had already missed two. I would be there right now. Still, I've been home for almost two months. I would still be there because they still continued the lockdown. Our water source dried up before I left. We had 12 people at the camp. We were filtering water um, maybe one liter at a time. We were rationing water. I told Ian, I said, my urine's dark, dehydrated. That's before I left. And we would have still been there. So, I mean, I know what ifs and what ifs are pointless, but you can't not think about that. And then I get home and to this reality, I had no news, none. So I didn't even know what was happening here. So I land here and I'm like, I mean, everything's in shrink wrap. There's nothing open. There's no people. All I heard is maybe there's no toilet paper. I went with 100 pounds of luggage because I needed so much gear for the, the, our trip. And I was only allowed one bag home. So as I ditched everything, I did bring toilet paper back. So when the embassy contacted told me there's no more flights, I just thought, oh my God. How are you now? Because that, I mean, you went through a very traumatic experience. How are you feeling now? I'm still trying to desperately find a place for all of this. I've been able to, in, in the last number of weeks, to think about the different things that have happened because we just didn't have time. 
Two, we had to just keep making decisions. No time to be upset about that. Just got to do it. It's almost surreal. And I don't really have a home for those things yet. There's times that I've just cried, times that um, I still feel very, maybe anxious is the word, just kind of revved up. I noticed that that's odd because there's no reason to be revved up. I'm still trying to figure out how to manage all of that. You know, certainly people have been through way worse, but I think it was just the blatant targeting. It was the fear of getting sick. Mm-hmm. It was the fear of these people are actually trying to hurt me. Um, so it was, it's, a, it's a very complex matrix of emotions, really, of where do I let this live in my brain so that I can get past it? And I'll tell you what, if it's hot or cold, like it's hot today, and I go outside and this little patch of fresh skin turns pink or purple or whichever temperature, you know, it's like a mood ring, I get very angry. It's like in my face again. But I will tell you in this processing, I've also come to realize um, it wasn't a great first trip to India. <laughs> but at the same time, we here in the United States, and I say we as a country, we're doing the same thing. We were blaming Chinese people. Yeah. The Chinese are blaming somebody else. The Brazilians are blaming somebody else. You know, Italy's blaming somebody. We are all blaming, blaming. No one's to blame. And yet, you know, there were Chinese people in our own country that were assaulted for nothing more than we were blaming them and they were Chinese. I was being blamed in India and I was just foreign. I didn't bring the virus there. The propaganda that was being distributed is made the people think that. And the reason I know that is because one of the days before we left and we bailed on our fishing trip and my assignments, I lost those. We picked up things at our guide's house and he had the local news on that morning and I could read the subtitles. And I thought, oh my God, this is why people are are doing this. I could read the subtitles about how it's too hot, can't get it. And a lot of the locals we would chat with early on when they were still talking to us, no one wanted to associate with us. It was no one at that turning point. But early on, they were telling us, oh, if, if you eat hash, you can't get it. God will protect us. If you walk, bathe a lot, you can't get it. Some guy asked if, you know, said, if I take an STD test, I know I don't have corona. Absolutely no actual real knowledge about how this thing works. And so all they had is that terrifying, paralyzing fear. And I guess I've really processed to the point that, okay, I've made a conclusion that on a very basic human being level, that what power fear really has over us and make you not rational. I'd always heard how beautiful and warm the Indian people were. And I'll tell you, the man that protected us, he's in danger for his family, even being associated with us. But he's such a contrast to everything else that we experienced. So I hold out hope (laughs) that it really is this We've never experienced this before. They were terrified. They're losing their homes. They're losing their jobs, their money, their livelihood, and maybe their lives. And I represented what that was, but they didn't know any better to know that it wasn't true. Would you go back, Anitra, after after restrictions are lifted, after a vaccine is created, because I think that's holding a lot of people back from traveling, would you be open to going back considering the experience, your first experience in India? I would. 
at some point, if the time came, I probably would have some reservations initially. Since I've talked a bit about what happened to me, there's Indian people who have said, hey, you're making India look bad. And I said, well, I didn't, I mean, (laughs) it didn't not happen. I'm a journalist, so I'm going to say what happened. But I would like to experience the India that I had heard about from my mother, who's been there many times to do photography. Ian and I had a, a, he had scouted these pools of water in this river for many, many years, working with villagers and, and doing his own recon research. The world record goonch was actually out of these pools. The river monsters had filmed at these pools. There were unfished pools, which to non-anglers means that there are fish there that have been relatively left alone to grow and grow and grow. So we felt very confident that not only could I have two great assignments, but maybe even break the world record. So I would love to go back. It was just such a massive letdown. That's the entire reason I was there. But I would love to go back at a different time and maybe when I'm mentally ready for that. This is World Footprints, and you've been listening to veteran journalist Anitra Hamper, who gave us a chilling first-hand account of her time in India, along with Ian Henderson of The Greatest Fish, as that awesome fishing excursion they were looking forward to turned into much more than that with the outbreak of the COVID-19 virus. We got a chance to catch up with Anitra a second time just to see how she was doing once she had a chance to catch her breath from the adventure she undertook on the other side of the world. Here's more from Anitra. My mother had been there a number of times doing photography and she loved it. It's her favorite country to travel to. And so I I had always heard about it being just very colorful and beautiful and how friendly the people were and always ready to greet you in their homes and make a cup of tea. With any country, we always have a perception of what we think it will be like, right? Right. And when we get there and we get to to see and feel and smell and have all of that sensory input, we begin to to make that uh, perception come alive in our world and quite frequently it's different. Um, and that's the joy of travel, of course. I, I had always heard about how friendly uh, the Indian people were, how just beautiful the country was and, and so many different regions. That's really all that I knew was just this, what my mother had shared with me and, of course, what, what my own perception was. Since that, the horrific experience that you had, since that experience, how has it shaped your your opinion about India now? I think that's a fair question. Certainly, um, it wasn't the first experience I had hoped for. But I also recognize that we are in a time that is extraordinary and unprecedented. When people are inflicted with this sort of fear in the way that we are now, in a way our generation has never experienced I have to take that into account, in my opinion. It's very easy for me to walk away upset, angry, I'll never go back. Sure, I felt that way at first, but now that I've had time to sort of reflect on really what happened and the bigger picture of where we are now, period, um, in our world with this, with, Mm -hmm. with coronavirus, I recognize a different perspective on it. So... While it was not the experience I had hoped for, I think that if and when I can go back, it will be a completely different 
experience for me. When you were talking, I, I was thinking because they were, it almost felt like you were being hunted in some ways or, you know, or stalked because of the color of your skin as well. I mean, that set you apart. Mm-hmm. And so did you have those feelings that, you know, you're being racially profiled? It absolutely was. On the level of that discussion, I mean, we were profiled. We were blatantly targeted for no other reason than the color of our skin and because of our nationalities. Now, there were certainly other foreigners who were there. You know, we knew about some French tourists that were stopped at checkpoints and taken away. Um, Certainly, there's all nationalities. I don't know those the experience of those people, but I know our experience, we absolutely were targeted because we were foreign and because we were not Indian. But even that won't impact your your travel going back there at some point in the future. I would say no, because when I go to other countries, particularly in Asia or Southeast Asia, especially, or like China, I look so different. And they are generally... In other countries, when I look so different, I do attract a lot of attention. And it's it's curiosity. And frankly, sometimes it's fun. It's fun to exchange those basic human elements like laughter and um, recognizing, hey, we're different, but, but we're learning about each other. And generally, those sort of differences in my experiences and travels have never been uncomfortable. There was only one other time that it was. Generally, people are curious. And I think that's kind of cool. I think that's a fun part of travel. It just was an unusual circumstance. And I would hope and think and like to believe that it it would be very different next time. If you just look different, I mean, it's human nature to, to be curious about why somebody looks different than you. And I I think it's a good learning opportunity. Because of this experience, will it impact the way you travel, how or even where you travel going forward or the way you travel going forward? How can it not? I was greatly disheartened by the way we were treated, not just by the citizens who were afraid, but by the authorities And also by the authorities when my own government stepped in and said, hey, she's okay to do this. Or Ian's government stepped in and said, they're okay to travel. They just didn't care. So I think having that kind of experience, it hardens you a little bit and makes me a bit more cautious, a bit more maybe mistrust right now when stuff really goes wrong, you'll like to think that things will be okay if you've got your government on your side. And my government was on my side. Ian's government was on his side helping us. And it just didn't matter. So I don't think it will inhibit me. Well, it won't inhibit me from traveling, but it doesn't make me real trusting of where I'm going. You know, I think that will just take some time. Maybe on some level, we should all be more aware of that. There's really no remedy for it. It's just awareness, you know, like any other you know, safety precautions and things, just being aware that, gosh, I don't know, I I can't even think of a backup plan. There is none for this. Maybe I'm a a bit mistrusting right now of other governments. It's a horrible place to be, nowhere to go. I describe it as a rat being chased around in a box. You're just purely vulnerable Mm -hmm. with nowhere to go and they don't want you there. 
And how about Ian? How, will he go back to doing these tours and how has he been adjusting? He's great. He's been doing awesome. He, you know, he absolutely will take clients back when and if that travel is able to happen, you know, if when people can and are comfortable going. He's spent so many years researching these waters and is a true expert at at this kind of off the grid fishing experience. And so if you're someone who really wants to up your game and you want the ultimate travel and angling experience, you know, he's the guy. So, and he's been to India and been in, in and around India for 10 years. So me being my first time, it was already like, this is a new place and new kinds of people. And so I probably absorbed a lot, much more um, deeply than he did, but certainly he was affected greatly as well. So yeah, he will definitely go back as far as I, I know, and you know is, is way more familiar with the culture and, and things, but we're doing well. We talk a lot and obviously formed a very close bond. Um, you can't not go through something like that. And we needed an immense pure trust to, to get through this together. Dear, you know, when I returned from India, I talked about how transformative that visit to the country was for me. And we know one of our other guests, Rick Steves, talks about India being his favorite country. This was Anitra's first trip and first impression of India. And that makes me so sad for her and, and certainly for the country. But I think what we have found with this COVID-19 is that it's so unknown and and so scary that it really causes people to to act in ways that they normally would not act. I mean, any other time, Anitra would have been treated with grace and kindness, but for COVID-19. And unfortunately, COVID-19 brought out the worst, as Anitra relayed to us, uh, as the Indian media scapegoated foreigners, scapegoated the Chinese, blaming others for COVID-19 in the country. And sadly for Anitra, who had shared vicariously through her mom the joys that her mom had in India for her first trip to go this way when she had such hopes is really sad. And what's painful about it is that it was such a horrific, life-altering, perilous experience where they had to worry about things such as water and making sure they were hydrated, that they kept in physical shape throughout this because they couldn't afford to get sick. You know, these right. are these are real life and death matters that kind of play out in real time and none of us really know how we're going to deal with that but it's hopeful that even in those tough times uh, the toughness the grit in us mm -hmm. can come through and it certainly did with Anitra and Ian yeah you know but I I don't think what um, certainly she planned on was the the trauma that she has experienced you know having to relive um, this experience and, and and certainly even through this story and I you know I'm so grateful that she shared this story and her experience with us um, I just hope that what we're doing right now is helping her towards healing because I know this wasn't anticipated and as she you know said she doesn't know where to park this and I've actually tried to put myself in her shoes and visualize 
how we would react during, you know, if we were to experience something uh, like what she and, and her Ian did and and how that would impact us, um, you know, when we returned back home to safety and had time to, to process. Um, I, I can think of, you know, remember almost a year ago when, uh, my life uh, in an event, you know, capsizing in um, the Rappahannock River mm-hmm. and and me just being carried away by the current, you know, that was, it, it, it could have been um, a, an event that uh, took my life. And I didn't process that until after, you know, later that evening after after dinner, when I had a chance to think about how dangerous that particular event uh, was for me, and I know you were panicking as you saw my head bobbing down the river. Yeah, and I couldn't really do anything because I was physically strained after trying to help us get from one side to the other and barely being able to make it out myself so right but th- you know think about a three week long yeah, um, yeah you know event like anitra and ian went through and you know trying to get out of india uh, not being able to when they you know thought they they could when they thought they had all of their paperwork and um and then being told by local authorities who had not been communicating with, uh, you know, their government, um, and just kind of making rules up as as it went. You know, imagine just being alone in a situation like that. It it it's frightening, and I can only just imagine what uh, what she's going through right now. We're Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick, and we're honored that you chose to take this adventure with us. We really hope and pray that everyone is being safe during this time, and we're grateful that you're spending this time with us and allowing us, allowing World Footprints, to connect you to the world through the stories that we share here on World Footprints. This World Footprints podcast with Ian and Tonya Fitzpatrick is a production of World Footprints, LLC, Silver Spring, Maryland. The multi-award winning podcast is available on worldfootprints.com and on audio platforms worldwide, including iHeartRadio, Public Radio Exchange, iTunes and Stitcher. Connect with the world one story at a time with World Footprints. Visit worldfootprints.com to enjoy more podcasts and explore hundreds of articles from international travel writers. And be sure to subscribe to the newsletter. World Footprints is a trademark of World Footprints LLC, which retains all rights to the World Footprints portfolio, including worldfootprints.com and this podcast.